Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Welcome to Money Talk, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a proud member of the Barron's Top Advisor List and the Financial Times Top 300 List. Know the difference. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Spano and Mark Oswald. And here we go. It is Money Talk, Saturday, July 13th. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald, good morning. Good morning. Derek Felsky, hello. Good morning, Danny. And Dave Spano, a week of milestones. It really was. And, you know, when we crossed 3,000 this week on the S&P 500, it's a number, of course, that we've talked about a lot in, in 27,000 on the Dow Jones. You know, and I had a conversation uh, with a client earlier this week. Put it in perspective, you know, even though we're at 27,000 on the Dow, you have to remember that the last milestone milestone we crossed was 26,000. That was January of 2018. So we've gone now 18 months with only a thousand point move if you go point to point. And that's, you know, I that was about a 4% move. It's really when you started. That's for sure. When you start thinking about 1,000 to 2,000 or 2,000 to 5,000, those are big moves in the market. Now when you have a thousand point move in the market, as you said, we're talking about, you know, a couple percentage points. So we could see this continue to move higher. You take stock of these. There's psychological barriers sometimes when the market moves into a new round number. We start talking about the Dow at 27,000 and the S&P at 3,000, the NASDAQ over 8,000. So those are big numbers, but they're just kind of relative, right, Derek? I mean, it's it's an accounting of where the market has moved over time. It is, and it's a reflection of the underlying corporate fundamentals, Mark, as you like to discuss often. I mean, generally, earnings go up over time. They, they track GDP over time. And if you believe that the U.S. economy will continue to grow, there's no reason not to believe that equity prices over some period of time will go up. Uh, what was interesting to me, though, is, you know, last year was a very frustrating year for people with a balanced portfolio. Ninety percent of the asset classes uh, we track at Annex were actually negative last year with cash, basically the best performer. And this year, we've seen exactly the opposite, where earnings have been basically flattish against very tough comparisons from last year's stellar results. But equity prices have advanced basically through P multiple expansion. And so you talk about, you know, what's driving this, and that's probably the question people want to talk about. You know, there's certainly a number of things that have happened, and we probably should, in a couple of minutes, kind of go through those things. The Federal Reserve, China, and earnings all are on, on the top of everyone's minds. They, they certainly are. This week, we heard from Chairman Powell. He was very dovish. The likelihood of a rate cut at the end of July is essentially 100% as priced by the futures market. And in fact, there's a 26% probability currently that they might actually cut that rate 50 basis points. And what that's done is essentially alleviate the inversion of the yield curve. We talk about that a lot, you know, as potentially a precursor to recession because of a Fed policy error. And the Fed is moving quickly and the futures market is discounting it. Whereas now we're basically looking at a flat yield curve between the three-month T-bill and the 10-year bond. The second issue, of course, is China. China and the China truce. It's still out there, but there seems to be somewhat of a truce. There is. I'm a little nervous about that. You know, the president talked earlier this week that China's let us down. The Chinese claim they never agreed to make additional soybean purchases. They've changed some members of their negotiating team. And I think that could be a wild card for us through the balance of the year, because it seems to me the hardliners in China have gained ground and they, they may just be waiting the results of the 2020 election, in which case it's, it's not hard to imagine we could get a tariff tweet 
any minute. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, we have earnings coming up. Expectations for 2020 are good. But we did see some news out of pharma and healthcare this week that was interesting. Yeah, the, the administration rolled back their, their idea to force the pharmaceutical benefit managers like Anthem and, and United Healthcare to basically pass along the rebates they get from drug manufacturers. The, but the pharma stocks acted very poorly after that because it seems to me that there's going to be some sort of ex- executive order soon on drug pricing. And that certainly negatively impacted the likes of Bristol-Myers and Merck, which had been strong. Well, Merck had been a strong stuff stock up to that point. Bristol-Myers has issues re- related to an acquisition of Celgene. You know, when you have lowest, lower interest rates, Mark, you talk about FOMO a lot. And one of the things that we, the, the reason why is with lower interest rates could drive higher valuations. For sure. And FOMO is fear of missing out. And people are moving money into the stock market right now because of the fact that you have two things going on. There is no alternative because when you start looking at the earnings yield of the S&P 500 versus what you would get in a bond right now, the premium is such that it's 400 basis points or more. When you start thinking about that, then you have that fear of missing out as well, Dave, where people are moving money into the stock market right now, and that continues to support valuations. Yeah, Mark, I was actually doing some research on that. If you look out over the last 50 years, the average forward P of the S&P has been about 14 times. So if you invert that and basically get to the earnings yield you mentioned, that's an earnings yield of about 7%, which is about what the 10-year Treasury yield averaged during those years. So basically, they were at parity. So now we we're looking at a six earnings yield versus a two-year, 10-year yield of about 2%. So stocks relative fixed income are very reasonably priced. Dirk Felskia, Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. It is 1013. If you came in halfway through that um, week in review, we will have that up on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube site. It's really good, very searchable, lots of topics. Again, just go to YouTube, search for AnnexWealth.com. If you're looking for us just generally, it's AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button and get that free portfolio analysis. You can do that this weekend. We'll get you going next week. A Barron's top advisor, a member of the Financial Times Top 300, and a Journal Sentinel Top Workplace. Know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. And we're back. It's Money Talk, Saturday, July 13th. I'm Danny Clayton, Mark Oswald here, Derek Felsky, and Dave Spano. During the break, there was a spirited discussion in the studio about the Fed. Should we do that on the radio? Yeah, that sounds good. You know, we talk about the Federal Reserve a lot because it's important. Interest rates drive lots of things from real estate to fixed income bonds to equities. And so, therefore, when we start to see this happening, we want to know why this is happening. The Fed has essentially a dual mandate. Make sure that employment is at full numbers and that CPI or inflation is under control. You could say that both of those are checkmark, checkmark, that maybe there's something else at work here, Derek. And you talk about why that is. Why would they lower interest rates when it appears that employment is at a 50-year low and that there really hasn't been any inflation that causes them concern? Well, I think the Fed, as we mentioned in the earlier segment, you know, the, the inversion of the yield curve obviously concerned the Fed. And, and global growth has dramatically slowed, which has pushed longer interest rates lower at the same time that our Fed was raising short-term rates. You see see it in all the uh, producer manufacturing data from China, from Europe, and the like. So basically, they're trying to get the yield curve to more of an upward slope, which in my mind is a prudent path, and inflation still remains below their target. I mean, we saw CPI running at 2.1%, but 
but the Fed doesn't look at that gauge. They look at personal consumption expenditures, which is only up 1.5, which is below their two targets. So, and the PCE is number that doesn't include daily expenditures like energy and food. Right. And food. right. It's, it smooths out the more volatile components. But basically, we are seeing very little inflation, despite the fact that the U.S. economy has been growing for a decade, and we're in the midst of the longest economic expansion in history. You know, Mark, when we look at interest rates around the world, and again, the German Bund is a negative rate. Uh, the Japanese have negative rates. A lot of countries around the world have negative interest rates, and so some of that money is coming over sure. here. So it is a spirited conversation about should the Fed really be doing this or not, or maybe they shouldn't have raised rates in the first place. That's where I was, as you remember, a year ago. For sure. And you start thinking about a policy error here. Could a cut right now be a policy error that lets prices start to expand too fast? And then the Fed has to reverse course again. Think back to December of last year. We were talking about rate raises in 2019 and 2020. Now we're talking about rate cuts, you know, six months later. So, you know, I think for listeners this morning, guys, I think it's important to have a takeaway, which is what does an inverted yield curve mean? Why do we care about that? Because we could, in an inverted yield curve, sometimes you get to a recession. And that yeah, and be- it's just it's a harbinger. And I don't want to get too wonky on it, but it has been a harbinger for a recession because it suggests that the economy is slowing. Right. Now, there are some things that we are looking at that do cause us concern, and that is that CEO confidence has been diminished lately, and it's kind of like consumer confidence, the number that we look at. CEO confidence has gone down, Derek. It has, and we also saw consumer confidence missed. I mean, it was I think the estimate was was 131. It came in at 121, the biggest miss in a, in a long period of time. But just getting back to that yield curve discussion, the reason an inverted yield curve has led to a recession often is if you're a bank and you're borrowing short and you're paying a rate to your savers, you're not going to lend money if you're going to get less from those you loan to. And that's why the economy would tend to weaken. Uh, you know, it was only the three-month T-bill and 10-year and Treasury that inverted. The 2 and 10, which is the one more commonly looked at, uh, never did actually invert. But right now, as I mentioned earlier, we're at a flat yield curve, which certainly is a much better signpost for the economy and, and reduces recessionary fears, which is part of the reason I think the stock market has been ripping recently. And bad news uh, you know, abroad really is outweighing the good news here, Derek. Let's think about it politically, and you know, is there something nefarious happening as well? We do have a presidential election coming up in the next little over 12 months. Yeah, and we've seen uh, the president's approval ratings have been rising. We saw some, some debates where uh, you know, there were issues raised that aren't particularly popular with the public, so perhaps the market is anticipating Trump's re-election. Let's change uh, topics uh, real quickly. You know, we often talk about exchange-traded funds, and yeah, it's really called passive investing. And really, what has happened since the Great Recession on how active managers have underperformed passive managers, Derek? Yeah, in large in large cap equities, they've underperformed every year since 2009. I, I noticed this week on one of the ETF uh, services I get uh, the total amount of assets in ETFs across four trillion dollars. Mark, eighty percent of which are equity. ETFs. When you start thinking about you know ETFs or mutual funds or individual names, I think for a lot of people it becomes a decision of all or nothing for some money managers. I think you can use those, Dave, in different parts of a portfolio. Sometimes it makes sense to be passive because you lower your cost and you control your taxes. On the other hand, active management works some places. So you know, look for somebody who's going to use both active and passive management in your portfolio because both have a place. This is Money Talk Annex Wealth Management for Saturday, July 13th. 1022. We're going to take a break. Going to be back. A lot of pension crises across the country. How is the Wisconsin retirement system? We'll dig into that next on Money Talk on WTMJ. 
the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Know the difference, Team Tech Trust, other team segment. Welcome back, Jason Gadir. How are you doing today, Danny? Not bad. Okay, you're a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. You also have decades of experience as law enforcement officer. You got expertise in government and public sector employees. Kind of nice, kind of nice to speak that language. Yeah, it's nice to work with your own people, work with policemen, firemen, teachers, public safety workers, city employees, whatnot, whether they're federal, state, or local. Yeah, you don't need that translator, right? Yeah, it makes it a lot easier because it is a little bit more complex. You probably spend a fair amount of time with clients who are in the Wisconsin retirement system, call it the WRS. Quick explanation of that system. That is our pension fund, right? Yeah, it's a pension fund for most state employees when there's quite a few state employees with the university system and most school districts are part of it, most cities, towns. I think there's like 250,000 people that are currently in Wisconsin retirement system as participants, plus annuitants on top of that. A recent Wall Street Journal headline caught your eye and it was... New Jersey needs a pension fix. So in the article, New Jersey government officials say the pension system is in a crisis. And that's a quote. And that's a pretty scary statement. New Jersey's obviously in a crisis. There's other states are, you know, our neighbors to the south in Illinois have some unfunded pension liabilities. And that is detrimental to those people that are counting on that income in retirement. Luckily, here in Wisconsin, it's a fully funded pension, one of the best run in the country, one of the original pension systems, actually. But it's just one part of your financial plan. Most major public pensions in the United States, they've got an average of 74 cents on hand for every dollar of promised benefits. For New Jersey, it's 43 cents. Do we know our number offhand? Yeah, we're at, you know, Wisconsin retirement system is 100% funded. And part of it is the design of the Wisconsin retirement system. It's not a promise. There's no COLAs built in, which is cost of living adjustment, like some states. It's based upon how the fund does, how the core fund does, how the variable does. So if it does well, the annuitants, the retirees will get an increase. If it performs poorly due to, you know, stock markets or economic indicators, sometimes they actually get a reduction. Here's one of the changes across the country, not here, at least 11 major public plans since 08 have made changes tying at least part of that retirement benefit to market performance. And that is according to the National Association of State Retirement Administrators. And there's a bunch. It's Rhode Island, Tennessee, Utah, Connecticut, Arizona, Kentucky. They're shifting risk. Mostly new hires to risk sharing plans. Now, is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing for those states if you're an employee in those states. Because if you're relying upon this pension and they're mismanaging it, usually by not funding it, you know, they have this obligation to put money in, they keep kicking the can down the road and saying, well, we'll figure it out down the road while they're building in cost of living. And eventually they're so underfunded, the music's going to stop and someone's not going to have a chair, right? Probably the employees. So in a state like Wisconsin, where it's fully funded, we don't have to worry about that. But if you're in one of those states, you probably want to go to a 401k type plan. So at least the money's in that account. You can see it, you can control it, and you know you can count on it. Now here in Wisconsin, just because we have a fully funded pension doesn't mean you shouldn't consider saving those deferred comp vehicles, your 457 plan or your Roth individual retirement account, because that'll supplement what the pension doesn't um, replace. You must tell that to clients all the time. Listen, this is good, but it's not everything you need. Yep. It's a three-legged stool. You got your pension. You got Social Security, and then you got your retirement savings, right? Well, we know pensions in the private sector, they're less and less frequent, right? So now you have a two-legged stool, really, Social Security and your own retirement savings. And then some people obviously are a little concerned about that Social Security leg, that if it's a little bit wobbly and, you know, is there going to be changes in the next decade or two on the retirement benefit? So you want to really make that third leg, your own retirement savings, strong to basically protect you from any changes. 
the term risk sharing kind of struck me. And pe- some people don't like risk and others are fine because they understand that sometimes when you take a little bit more risk, you sometimes have better returns. And we run our clients through this risk analysis. That's part of what we do. Yeah, we use you know complex software, which basically sits down and gives you, depending on which model, which type of portfolio the client is in or is looking to be in, it'll say how much potential volatility you're going to see, how much swings in prices, both to the good and the downside and what they're comfortable with. You have to have a a number you're comfortable with in retirement. And that's going to change over time. Maybe when you're in your 30s, you're going to be more aggressive. And maybe even early in retirement, a lot of people retire from government work. They retire from government work, but they don't retire from working. A lot of government employees, policemen and firemen in, in particular, because they retire earlier than most people, will take on another job. So while you retire from that job, you're still working. So maybe you still want to be a little bit, have some risk out there and not put it all in a, a stable value fund at age 50 for the next 30 years, which some people may do because they're not sure what to do. So you're busy, you're doing law enforcement, and you're also doing wealth management as well. But I do think people listening right now are looking for somebody that speaks their language. So your phone rings, right? Correct. Here at Annex, obviously, we have a team environment. And one of my specialties is working with government employees. So people come in here and they have pensions. Matter of fact, um, one of the other advisors just before we sat down here uh, was looking over a federal retirement benefit and just kind of got my opinion on it just to kind of clear up some things. Obviously, if we have government employees come in our office, sit down, we'll see if we're a good fit. Jason Gadera is the guy. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Danny. Good guy. Really, really good guy. And of course, we feel really safe when he's at Annex Wealth Management. Uh, he is headquartered in our Elm Grove location, but we're everywhere. We're in Mequon, also Lake Country, uh, Appleton, downtown in the Fister. And then if you're listening to WTMJ with this huge signal, we can uh, handle you with something called Annex Everywhere, which is simple screen share technology. When you go to the AnnexWealth.com website, in the upper right, you'll see uh, Get Started. You click that, and it's a simple process. We're going to ask your, your first and last name, your email information, a phone number not to bug you just so we can get a hold of you an investment range if you'd like the annuity review where would you like to visit you can pick your location and then what led you to the page and in this case it would be WTMJ and we'd like to know that most important thing tell us about yourself just a little description we certainly dig in deeper but we want to know a little bit about you where you're going and how you want to do it and you want to start at AnnexWealth.com Team Tech Trust Money Talk is straight talk from a local fee-only fiduciary. It's time to know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Annex Wealth Management, the website, AnnexWealth.com, a 2019 top workplace, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Also, Annex Wealth Management named a 2019 edition of Financial Times 300 top registered investment advisors. It is time for Ask Annex. Our first one comes from Van. This is a planning question because that's what we do. Van says, I'm having my kitchen remodeled. The cost is $30,000. I need to decide which account to withdraw money for this cost. Ed Jones IRA, 10% return this year. Bonds, 3% return. Individual IRA, 3.8% guaranteed return. A withdrawal from my savings would deplete it. What is your opinion? Is that a tough question? It, it kind of is, right? It is, because I've got more questions for, for Van, because it, the answer to that depends a little bit on a couple of things. First of all, he mentioned the bonds that he has. If they're in an individual account, for instance, and they're earning 3%, you would look at that and say the borrowing cost, you know, to go out and put it on a credit card, for instance. If you were to look at that and say it doesn't have a tax ramification to sell those bonds to create the cash, that might be a solution. On the other hand, if he's of a certain age where 
he takes the money out of an IRA, he could be penalized. If he's pre-59 and a half, for instance, he would be penalized for taking the money out of the IRA. So probably not a good solution. On the other hand, if he's over 70 and a half and he has to take an RMD anyways, he might want to take it from that IRA. So, so a lot on, of different, lot of, lot of different hands, questions yeah, there. Right. So. It depends, right? Yeah, you bet. You might, so there's a lot that goes into that, Mark, and that's one of the reasons why you want to sit down and make sure that your whole picture is shown, that you understand the tax ramifications, where the money's coming from. It really isn't, you know, trying. it's like trying to give a haircut uh, over the air. You know, we need we need to see it. We need to go through what your whole picture is to actually answer that question. But again, it does depend, and it depends on where your situ- what your situation is. Next up is from Steve. I read that this is the longest expansion in history. Is it time to go to cash? Well, that's funny because you know sometimes you hear that conversation against uh, with even sophisticated investors. Is it time? You know, I've made some money. Should I go sit on the sideline? But it has been a long expansion, Derek. But it hasn't really not been a robust expansion. No, I mean we've taught we've highlighted this anytime, Dave. In fact, in every presentation we give, we we show a picture of this this recovery versus past recoveries, and this one has been much more muted than typical, primarily because the housing market really. Has hasn't bounced back like it typically does following a, a, a recession. And of course, it was a severe recession in 2008 and 2009. But currently, you know, with, with student loan debt high and, and millennials moving back with their parents, the strength in the first time home buyer has just not been what you typically see, which is part of the reason why we haven't seen the excesses in terms of inflation or wage growth and the like. So this recovery can continue barring some sort of Fed policy mistake or a geopolitical event like something happening, say, in the straight of Hormuz or something with Iran, things of that nature. Uh, so essentially, we're dealing with the hands we're dealt, a very uh, a Goldilocks economy, if you will, where we're growing, but not at a rate that triggers an aggressive Fed move. And corporate earnings continue to improve. And Mark, you know, the second part of that question is, should I go to cash? And obviously, we have feelings about that. For sure. Because, I mean, for people who go to these all-in or all-out types of, of positions, they, they never work. And frankly, in, in the 30-some-odd years that Dave and you and I have been doing this, frankly, when you look at history, and you look at people who make these binary decisions of being all in or all out of the market, they tend not to work out because you have to be right twice, right? I mean, you have to know the day to get out and you have to know the day to get back in. There's a lot of people who are probably listening this morning who thought in December when the markets were going down, they probably thought, you know, now would be a good time to go to cash. If you did that, you missed quite a ride back up in the first half of 2019. No, you missed 27%. That's not quite a ride. That's a huge move. And typically, what I, what, the way we look at it really is as equity volatility is the, the bulk of the volatility in a portfolio, in a balanced portfolio. So when the markets are going up, like they have been recently, and the VIX is under 13, you know, that's the time that, you know, I and the rest of the investment team, we look at rebalancing our portfolio, bring that equity allocation back in line with what our target is. So yes, we are selling strength, but we're doing it in a way to reduce overall portfolio volatility, because at the end of the day, we're talking about risk-adjusted returns. Anyone can go out and buy 100% equities and, and hope they're right over the long haul. But, you know, many of our clients are 55, 60, 65 years old. They, they want to be able to sleep at night. And if they generate a 5, 6, 7, 8% return in equities over a fairly short period of time, and we reduce their exposure, they're going to be happy. They'll generate a positive return ahead of inflation. And that's our goal. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer with one of our Ask Annex Answers. If you've got a question for us, you can head to AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask button. It is easy. Annex Wealth Management is a 
number of different locations, Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, Downtown on the Fister, and then Annex Everywhere. And when you go to our website and you click that Get Started button, one of the questions we're going to ask is, would you like an unbiased annuity review that's a little bit different than the portfolio analysis? We include that if you want that. Lots of people have annuities in their portfolio, and sometimes, you know what, you don't know exactly what they're doing or how they're working for you. We can answer those questions. And again, it starts at AnnexWealth.com. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. It is 1041, Saturday July 13th, WTMJ. Planning and investment insight from a fee-only fiduciary. And we put that in writing. You're listening to Money Talk on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust with Annex Wealth Management. Another team segment. Tom Parks is back, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Always a pleasure to be here. For many, a 401k can comprise the majority of somebody's retirement savings. You've heard the term 401k millionaire. It's legit. I've met a bunch of them, as a matter of fact. My favorite people. You and I saw the same article in USA Today, and the headline was, here's a lesson for 401k investors. Don't just save, save to create wealth. So I read it, you read it. The writer shares the story of her grandmother who worked into her 70s. She did well, but she didn't achieve what she could have. This is what the author said, because she was a saver instead of an investor. She might have saved, but she didn't take savings and invest them. And there's the larger lesson. This is what a 401k can do. And even more important for companies to provide a solid 401k plan for employees. Why? Because strong benefits attract and retain employees, right? I love this part of the article where we're talking about this because they're saying, you know, my grandmother worked hard, she saved and all that, but she didn't invest. And so when you look at a 401k in particular, over the span of your career, once you end up in retirement, a very large percentage of the balance that you have is earnings on what you put into the plan. So saving money is the number one. It's the most important thing. Obviously, if you're not saving any money in the plan, then none of this really matters. But where you go about investing that money over the long term is critical because it's those earnings that are really going to provide a substantial benefit for you come retirement. And when you retire, your 401k should be like an old friend. You've been through a lot together, right? Yeah. And you should pay attention to it. So we tell people there's a balance. You want to be careful not to be day trading and looking at it every day because it's not something, you know, it is a long-term investment, but that doesn't mean that you should forget about it and never look at it. We do recommend at least once a year, go in there, check it out, make sure that you have yourself allocated the way you want. If it's a good 401k plan, you know, people are monitoring the investments. Maybe there have been some investment changes during the year. Uh, If that affects your portfolio, maybe there's some new things that weren't there that you might want to take advantage of. Whatever it is, at least take a little bit of time once a year, go in there, check it out, Make sure that things are going the way you want them to. I don't always do things right, but I think I did it right with my 401k. So I've been here a year and a half. One of the first things I did was I rolled my previous 401k, and really it's 401ks, into our plan here, which, by the way, Tom, is quite good. So I don't look at it often, but I did the other day, and it looked pretty good because the market has been really good. If I had looked at the fourth quarter, I would not have been so thrilled. Right. So it's the other part of the article they discuss. They use Starbucks as an example, and obviously we do not recommend putting your 401k all in one stock. But the 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 idea, the example that they gave was really good because they were saying, had you bought Starbucks before the crash, but held on to it since then, it would have been very tempting to get rid of it during the crash because it went down very precipitously. But since then, it has not only bounced back, it's gone way beyond. And I think that's the experience a lot of people had with their 401ks, the mutual funds, the allocation that they had. Yes, back in 2007, 2008, 2009, very perilous time. A lot of people freaked out and panicked. The people who sold 
are regretting that decision. The people who weathered through it, and it's people say at that time when those things are happening, well, that's easy for you to say, you know, you haven't seen my balance. And yeah, it is easy for me to say, because you know what, I've seen, I've been through this twice. When I started in this career, it was right after the dot-com crash. Um, I've been through 2008, 2009. So yeah, it is easy for me to say, but it's because I pay close attention to this and I've seen it. So I think that people need to understand, because a lot of people we're hearing right now, well, Tom, I don't know if this is the time to do this. The market's at an all-time high. Why would I want to invest now. A very old personal family friend of ours told me, he was a, he's a retired police officer, and he said to me once, you know, when people ask me when's a good time to get in the market, I always tell them now. That has stuck with me for a long time because he's right. If you're going to be in this for the long term, five years or more, just don't worry about what the market's doing right now. Get yourself allocated and, and hang in there. Since 2000, I've been at five different companies, which is about normal. Yeah. And I've, so I've had five different 401ks. And so I have gone through peaks and I've gone through valleys with those things. All of them has followed me along. I'm sure you hear all the time, I just can't save and invest. What's your answer to that? Well, so back to another different Starbucks example. I was talking to a group of employees years ago and explaining they had this great company match. And I said, hey, this is a great plan. You guys should do this. And there was a young lady sitting in the front and she had a tall Starbucks cup. And she actually said to me, you know, hey, look, I can't afford to save any money in this 401k plan. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. How much was that drink? And it was like five bucks or something at the time. And so I asked her, you know, well, how often do you buy that? Every day. You know, (laughs) she's talking to me like I was an idiot for even asking. And I said, well, think about that. That's $35 a week. You know, if you just went to Quick Trip or whatever and bought one for a dollar, I wasn't about to even try to say, make it at home. I didn't think that I'd get any progress there. (laughs) But, you know, there are little things when we say we can't afford to do something. A lot of times that's true. We can't afford to do it. But the reason we can't afford to save is because of the way we're behaving with our money somewhere else. We need to make those adjustments. I am not saying this is easy. It is not. And it is not comfortable. But the uncomfortableness that you're going to feel now by sacrificing to put something away will be far less brutal than how you're going to feel in retirement if you've spent your entire career saving nothing. So this gets into that financial wellness, right, that Annex Wealth Management offers as part of a retirement plan services. This is this is kind of that holistic thing. Absolutely. And it is not just a buzzword. This is important not only for us as workers and as you know people who are tr- contributing to the economy. It's important for employers because as an employer, if you have a bunch of financially unwell employees, that is not good for productivity. Uh, people have to work longer because they haven't saved enough. Health insurance rates, things like that. Older workers who are less productive over time cost more money. It's a, a matter of how you feel. You know, people's attitude has a big impact on how they're dealing with your clients if you own a company. So there are a lot of reasons that financial wellness is not just a fad. It's really important. It's just a way that I think that our industry has finally figured out a way of quantifying this whole thing of where it used to be retirement readiness. And we've looked at why aren't people ready for retirement? Well, it's because they're doing this other stuff over here long before retirement that prevents them from getting there. So we do look at that holistically and we really try to help each person. I think that's one of the cool things about our team is we have all of our different teammates who will meet with employees one-on-one and then we're able to tailor that plan to that specific person. Are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have debt? All those things are going to factor into the advice that we give because it's not a one-size-fits-all solution for anyone other than to say, be responsible with your money and save some money for retirement. How much and all that, pre-tax Roth, All of those are things that we like to talk to people about one-on-one to help them get there. Employers, this is the guy that can help you. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You know, I love talking about this stuff. I'll come back anytime. 
1051 at WTMJ. This is Money Talk Annex Wealth Management. Easy to start. Just go to AnnexWealth.com. You'll see that Get Started button. It'll take about two minutes. Fill out that form, and we'll get with you and get things going next week. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. W277CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. Team, tech, trust, and a fee-only fiduciary model that works in your best interest. Can your advisor say that? This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Money Talk, Saturday, July 13th. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald still here. So is Derek Felsky and uh, Dave Spano. Last Thursday, we had a great retirement ceremony here at Annex Wealth Management. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, one of our employees, long-term employee, been with the company for a number of years, Mona Frank. She decided that it was time for her to have her sunset, right? And, and uh, it was something we really celebrated, Dave, because when we have an employee who was also a client of the firm, she wouldn't object to me saying that, but you know the fact is is that when we get an employee that goes through the process and they've gone through financial planning and they've done exactly all the right things, you know, plan for retirement, and then they get to that point, and she was really, really emotional about the fact that now she has all this freedom that she's going to be able to travel and she's going to be able to see her granddaughter and all those kinds of things. It was really neat because it really underscored for me personally what we see our clients accomplishing every day in our conference rooms throughout the state is getting to that point where every day turns into a Saturday. Right. Unless, of course, you're doing live radio exactly, on Saturday morning. Right. But, you know, you've all heard about the cobbler's kids, right? You know, the cobbler had uh, fixed the shoes for everybody in the village, but the kids had holes in the bottom of their shoes because he was too busy to do his own stuff. We you know what we do here at Annex is we go through this with our employees as well, and we push them through the process so they have a plan, so they have they understand what the taxes are, estate planning, all of these activities we do with our employees as well. And it's really cool to see our clients, too, become the biggest advocates and cheerleaders for Annex sometimes because the experience is unique, and then once you've gone through it and you have that peace of mind and you can advocate and you go to other people and say, you really should be doing this because... You know, no matter where you're at in your financial journey right now, you're at point A, and you want to get to point B, whatever point B is for you and your family. So you start the financial planning process. It doesn't have to be a 30-year journey, but it does have to be a process that you go through to make sure that you get there. So congratulations to Mona, congratulations to everybody within her family, and and continued success and well wishes to her. By the way, let me just change topics because uh, something got under my skin this week, which was, you know, we talk about what we do, and when when you do these things, you have to file a Form ADV. And that really tells you about the business, about the assets that you have under management, and so on and so forth. And we had another client come in, and they showed us the other firm's ADV. And I was a bit shocked. I walked out and showed it to you. Yeah, you did. Because in that form that you file, ADV, with the Securities and Exchange Commission, is what you do to register as a registered investment advisor in the United States. And for people that have never looked at one, it's really telling because it's not hard to get to. You go to sec.gov and you can find the ADV, the form ADV. And it's not like reading this, you know, really complex legal document. It really is questions and answers. The section you want to focus on is tell us about your business. And there is an explanation there of the business that you're that you're working with. It'll tell you the number of employees that they have, the number of employees that are involved in investment decisions. It'll tell you the number of clients that they have that'll tell you the assets under management. And the one that you showed me that was just amazing is a local firm that has been talking about being an investment advisor for three decades here in in our town. And we looked at their ADV. They had zero clients 
and they had zero assets under management. They've never had a client, and they've never managed money independently. Well, I mean, they, they do, but it's not on their ADV because they have a broker-dealer of where those assets are held. So I don't want people to walk away and say that there's something nefarious happening. It's just that they're putting this ADV out that they are this one thing, and they really aren't. And that's my point, and I think that we're trying to go to is this shell game that goes on sometimes, fiduciary, non-fiduciaries. So before you do business with a financial services company or whether you're doing business with a financial services company, there are tools out there that you can go to to verify. And then, you know, you'll think about all of the things, believe, trust, Trust but verify. That was a Ronald Reagan thing. Trust but verify. So go and look at their form ADV or go to broker check and find out a little bit more about the person that you're doing business with because those are important resources. They're there for a purpose and it's so you can be an informed investor, so you can be an informed consumer. Know who you're working with and know how they operate and there's ways to do that without having to be a detective that information is readily available. In 15 seconds, how do people get started? You get started by going to our website at AnnexWealth.com. Hit that Get Started button. It's free and it's no obligation. We just want to meet with people that are interested in, in having that financial journey. And if you want to do that, go to our website at annexwealth.com and hit that Get Started button today. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.